Amen. Amen. Good morning and Happy New Year. Welcome to the Church of 1122. We have the distinct honor this morning to ring in the new year by celebrating communion together as a church family. And so this is a really special time for us and a special service And as we observe the ordinance of communion. And so we look forward to that. But before we do, I, I want to take a few minutes and hopefully help us uh, think rightly or maybe uh, remember some things about communion that are true that will help us when it comes time to take communion. So if you have your notes, grab them and pull them out. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes to us about communion and he, he, he gives us some instruction both in how to think and how to act when it comes to communion. So let's dive into verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The ordinance of communion is a gift from God for his children by which we begin to understand and experience some new realities that he's created for us. And so if you have your notes, if you're an avid note taker, I'm going to go ahead and fill the blanks in up front so your OCD can chill out and you can just listen. Um, but as to start, there's two words in your notes to say, that say for God's children to begin to understand and experience because communion has two parts to it. There is the thinking rightly and then there's the right behavior when it comes to taking the Lord's Supper. And when we do this, we remember, we reflect, we see in the act of communion three new realities that God has created for us. The first one is that we are under a new covenant. We are under a new covenant. The second one is that we are part of a new community. And the third one is that we are purposed as a new creation. What does it mean to be under a new a new covenant, let's start there. You see, the Bible is a book of covenants. It is the, the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, and it is the New Covenant or the New Testament. It's really two prominent themes in the Scriptures. Covenant thinking or covenant realities is how God has chosen to reveal Himself to us. These Through covenants and covenant promises is how we actually begin to learn and know what the nature of God is. Who is God and how does God act and why does He do the things that he does. Well, covenants are the answer to a lot of those, those questions. But covenant link, living or covenant thinking is actually something pretty difficult for us because we live trapped in this carnal reality. You see, God lives on a covenant plane and we exist on a carnal plane. And so sometimes it's hard for us to get our head around the, the idea of a, what a covenant really is in that a covenant promise is an unbinding commitment or an unbinding promise made by God that can never be nullified. It can never be broken or, or it can never disappoint or it will always come true. And for us, this is a challenge because honestly, we just live in a world that is just full of disappointment. Happy New Year. It's a disappointing world, right? And so I don't know, if, I don't know how it is in your life, but like I just disappoint people. I don't, I don't like wake up in the morning and think, you know, I really want to disappoint as many people as possible today. That's what I want to do. But yet, I do it. I disappoint my wife. 
She's awesome, but I disappoint her. Ask her. She'll tell you for free. She won't even charge you. She'll tell you all about it. I disappoint my kids. They're five and they're two. How do you disappoint a five-year-old? I don't know, but I figured it out. I disappoint my, my peers. I disappoint my boss. I disappoint my, my friends. I disappoint my family. In my life, I have been known to disappoint. I mean, I even disappoint myself, and I have pretty low expectations of me. Right? I disappoint me all the time. Like, every morning when I wake up and I stumble past the mirror, I got this, like, burly Leviathan looking back at me, and I'm like, can't I just trade this in and get another one? This is disappointing. Right? It's just disappointing. Even the best of us, even with the best of intentions, we still somehow end up disappointed. I mean, my dad, my dad is like a saint. He's like the kindest, gentlest, godliest wisest man I have ever met in my life. I owe all kinds of good stuff in my life to my father, but even my father was known to disappoint. I mean, one time I was coming home from college. I did go to college, surprisingly enough, and I was driving home, and I was rolling in my Ford Ranger, and I was pumped because I hadn't been home in like five months. I'm going to drink some of this before I spill it. I haven't been home in like five months, and I'm going home, and I'm excited, and I don't, like, I have daughters, and so we'll see how the mother-daughter thing goes. I'm learning with moms and daughters that they, like, talk about stuff, and they, like, chit-chat, and that kind of thing. Dads and sons, it's a little different. Like, I never call my dad just to chit-chat. I'd be like, hey, Dad, my brakes are broke. I need money. Like, that's, that's kind of how it worked. So we didn't, like, inform each other a lot, even though we loved each other. I come home, and I pull up to the house I grew up in. And it's this beautiful farmhouse on like 100 acres, and I grew up on a farm, and it was awesome. And, and I, this house was going to be my house. I mean, everything in my life was purposed toward this house. I was going to raise my kids in this house. I mean, this was going to be my place. I had said many times that I want this house. My brother, he can go wherever. I get the house. And I, I roll up to my house, and I go to the front door, and I, and I grab the doorknob, and it's locked. And I was like... Well, that's weird because this was back before everybody was scared of everything and we didn't lock our doors. And so I get my keys out and I open the door and I go in and the house is empty. It's just empty. I'm like, well, all right. I'm like, the rapture happened or Twilight Zone or like, and if it's a rapture, why would they take the furniture? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And so I, I go to the kitchen and I pick up the phone and I call my dad and I call him on his like Motorola brick, Zach Morris bag phone, you know. Some of y'all don't even know who Zach Morris is. Look, when I wake up in the morning and I'm in a, say by the bell. If you don't know who it is, pull out your Snapchat, Instagram, Face, Twitter page thing and just type in, who is pound, pound Zach Morris? I know it's called hashtag, but those of us who had phone, real phones, it's the pound sign. Just type in, who is Zach Morris? And I promise, people will start feeding you stuff back. My dad had a Zach Morris, Zach Morris phone. I call him on it and I'm like, hey dad. He's like, hey. I'm like, how you doing? He's like, good. Where are you? He's like, oh, we're at Grandma's house. Cool. I'm at our house. He's like, and the phone just goes quiet for like 10 seconds. And then my dad just goes, I just bust out hysterical laughing. He's like, oh, I forgot to tell you. We sold the house and we're living at Grandma's until we get the new one built. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You sold the house? How do you sell a house and forget to tell your son? Like, how does that work? Like, I just come home to an empty house, and, and, and it's all gone. All, my room had stuff in it. Where's my stuff? So 
Even my dad, he disappointed. I got countless stories like that, even the best of us. We just live in a disappointing world, whether it's promises that we make to each other that we just can't seem to keep, whether it's right or wrong expectations we set on one another or we set on ourselves. At the end of the day, we are prone to disappointment. And because we're prone to disappointment, covenant realities are very hard for us to get our head around because God never fails. That's what it means to exist on a covenant plane and, and to be a God of the covenant is that he never, he never fails. He always delivers on his promises. Covenant realities and carnal realities are, are very different. You see, biblical covenants are promises that are made and kept by God. And they are realized by God's children over time. That's important to note. The covenant promises, biblical covenant promises, are made and kept by God. And they're realized by God's children over time. They're realized by us as we pursue Him through obedience over time. They're instantaneously true, meaning that when God says them, they are true forever. But the truth of them is realized by us over time. And this long obedience in the same direction is known as sanctification. It's known as growing in our understanding of God and growing in our likeness of His his son Jesus. You see, in our world of instant gratification, we have a hard time with, with things that take time. But understanding God, it just takes time. I mean, nobody ever, nobody ever became a Christian and then immediately picked up Ezekiel and was like, I got it. Ezekiel, no problem. Leviticus, got it. What do you need to know? Nobody ever did that, ever. It just takes time to understand what God is doing in the covenants. But through communion, we are reminded that we are under a new covenant. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus takes the first communion of sorts at the, uh, at the Lord's Supper when he gra- gathers his disciples before he goes and surrenders himself to die on the cross. And in Matthew 26, it says this. Uh, Jesus says that uh, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, in that room with Jesus, all of his disciples, all of his boys would have been very, very familiar with the old covenant which is primarily realized in Genesis chapter 12 when God makes a promise to Abraham by which he says, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. I'm going to make you a great nation. And this is a promise that that God gave Abraham by which he would create the nation of Israel and then God would go on to rescue Israel time and time and time again. And the old covenant was fully fleshed out in the law of Moses. Now, I don't have time and I'm not going to get into all the Levitical laws or the Abrahamic covenant, uh, if, if you don't know what that is, I would highly encourage you to go to our website. We did series through Genesis and Exodus last year, uh, and you could learn all you wanna, could ever want to know about, about covenants. But for today, let's just say that everybody in the room with Jesus would have been very, very familiar with the Old Covenant, specifically the law. And their whole worldview, everything about them had been set up, the, the way they processed information was through a system of right and wrong and do's and don'ts. The law says you have to be this, and these, these boys had spent their whole life trying to be something that they could never measure up to. 
And so when Jesus grabs his cup and he holds it in the air and he says, this is my blood, it is a new covenant, this is what everybody in the room is hearing. They're hearing Jesus say, all right, boys, I'm here now, and I'm going to change everything. I'm going to change everything. And, and, and their blood pressure would have gone up and their excitement level would have raised because what Jesus was saying to them and what he's saying to us is that it's not about do's and don'ts and right and wrong anymore. You don't, you're not under the law. You are now under love. I'm here. It's not about the law. It's not about right and wrong. You don't have to be bound in that. You are now invited into a relationship with me because I'm here. So when Jesus says this is a new covenant, he literally says there was and now forever there will be. This is good news. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 5 says it like this. Side note, Romans 8 is the greatest chapter and the greatest book in all of the Bible. If you ask me, if, if you're hanging out in Ezekiel and your head starts to hurt, just come over to Romans 8 and hang out. It's delicious. Uh, there is therefore, this is, what, this is what Paul writes in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Let me reread that last part and give it a little context to what we're talking about today. For those who live according to the flesh or according to the old covenant or the old standard, they set their minds on the old covenant, meaning... The people who live according to the law are bound under the law. They set their minds on the guilt and the shame and the not good enough that the law is purposed to help us see. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the Spirit. Those who live according to the new covenant set their minds on grace and truth and freedom which comes through Jesus Christ and is made known to us by His Spirit. You see, the covenant not just changes how... Changes our eternal reality, it changes our immediate reality in that it changes how we think about ourselves. We're not guilty anymore. We are free in Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. And that is good news. So through communion, we see that we are under a new covenant. We're under a new covenant. We're no longer bound by the old. The second thing we are reminded of through, commun through communion is that we are part of a new community. We are part of a new community. We are now a part of the rescue team. We are part of, of God's family. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. I mean, I don't think I ever really realized what it meant to be a part of God's beautiful mosaic that He's painting all over the world until a few years ago when I went on a trip to Africa. I've, I've been to Africa many, many times, but on this one trip, I, I had the incredible opportunity to meet this little girl named Linda. And I brought some video of Linda with me so that you could see her and you could uh, maybe better understand her story. You see, when I met Linda, she was 12 years old. Linda has a younger sister and two younger brothers. Both 
of Linda's parents died of HIV. Linda and all her brothers and sisters were born with HIV. Linda lived in a mud shack uh, that was owned by her aunt who, lived five, who, who worked five hours away as a prostitute in the Suva Islands. And when we, when we first met Linda, she was very, very sick. She was in a whole lot of trouble. She at 12 years old, Linda had been trusted with the responsibility of no doing of her own to take care of her, of her family and try to take care of herself. And some people came to her and they said, hey, there, I hear that there's a medical team, a mission team coming from the United States. You should go and maybe they can help you. And so Linda courageously packed up her brothers and sister and they walked for hours and hours and hours, probably days, to get to where we were coming with a medical mission team to try to find some help. And we had some doctors and we had some, some uh, pastors and we had just regular people from the church and, and we showed up and, and we began to do this medical team. And there was this little girl and her brothers and sisters standing on the fringe and she wouldn't come near us because she had never seen a white person. And we were weird and strange to her. And so over time, our, some of my good friends over there, the Kenyan pastors that we were working with, went and began to dialogue with Linda, and we began to learn the horrific nature of her story. And as we learned her story, we began to see God's hand at work. You see, through these relationships, my, my good friend Christoph, he was a pastor, and he was there to plant a church in her region. And he had lost his birth daughter three months earlier, had died of malaria in the bed next to him. But without hesitation, he lives in rural, abject poverty. He's got no means by which he can take care of his family. But with, with no hesitations, he adopted Linda and her brothers and sister as his own. He just brought them in and said, you're going to be my family now. And he began to take care of them. And through that relationship, he shared the gospel with them. And they prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they were able to get food. And now they're getting education. And they were able to get the drugs that they needed to sustain life. And they're, now they're doing unbelievably well. Some months later, I went back to the region and I was spending some time with the family. And I asked Linda this question. I said, Linda, we were talking about a lot of things. And I just said, hey, Linda, let me ask you a question. Why do you follow Jesus? And in my mind, I'm thinking, if I were Linda, Linda has more reason than any person I have ever met in the history of the world to be mad at God, to blame God, to be confused, to be angry. She's, she's got the worst imaginable life that I've ever encountered. And I ask her this question. So in my mind, I'm thinking, this is going to be a pretty loaded response. And I say, Linda, why do you follow Jesus? And she looks down at the ground. It's a very humble, soft-spoken culture. And she looks up. This big smile just comes over her face. And she says, well, pastor, I follow Jesus because he lets me. I was wrecked because at no point in my life would I have answered the question that way you see up until then my gospel had been a gospel of mercy I had rightly believed that the entirety I had rightly believed and in my mind the entirety of the gospel was all about the fact that I am a sinner and I need a savior somebody's got to cover me with mercy and that is true that is true I have been forgiven much but what Linda helped me see was that the gospel is not just about mercy. It's about inheritance from the king. That, that, yes, I am a sinner who's been forgiven much, but I am now a son who has been given much. When she says, because he lets me, she says, because my daddy lets me in. 
Because my daddy lets me close to his face. Because I was orphaned and broken and hurting, and now I have a father. As a part of this new community at 1122, we're so committed to this new community reality that we are, we are going to plant 100 gospel-centered churches over the next two years all over the world, primarily in East Africa. Do you know why? Because there's lenders out there that need hope, and the church is where they're going to find it. They, people need hope. There's all these little lenders, and guess what? You can go. In 2016, you can be a bringer of hope. You can meet Alinda and you can change her life and she can change your life forever. I promise you this, that if you want 2016 to be different than any other year you've ever experienced, go to Africa. Go to Africa. It'll change everything for you. That's a fact. All, it's as easy as for you is pick up a respond card and check, I want to go on a mission trip. Or go to the Connect Center or one of our connection tents and say, I want to go on a mission trip. we got like eight or nine trips going to Africa next year because Lindas are out there and we're going to be a part of this new community that says, you are no longer an orphan, you are a daughter of the king. He loves you. He wants you to come in. So being a part of this new community means that we are an active part of this new community. You see, this new community is, is and has never been pur purpose for perfect people who don't have problems. It's for sick people. It's for poor people. It's for broken people, for confused people. It's for people full of disappointment, people full of shame. Jesus didn't come for the well, he came for the sick. And that's what this community is. It was once uh, said in a derogatory term that Christianity is a crutch for the weak. And when I first heard that, I thought, you betcha. You betcha. It's not just a crutch for the weak, it is our life. It is life for the dead. Not just a crutch for the weak. So through communion, we were reminded that we are a new community. Third, the third thing, communion, that we celebrate in communion is the fact that in Christ, we are a new creation. So first is that we are under a new covenant. Second is that we are a new creation. Uh, second is that we are part of a new community. And third is that we have been purposed as a new creation. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed and the new has come. This is not... Of, of us, this is all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. We are a new creation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, We are saved by grace through faith. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift from God. God does all the work. God makes all the promises. God keeps all, all the promises. You see, as a new creation, we, we begin to experience and have Three new realities or three things happen to us simultaneously and instantaneously when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Being a new creation means that there, is, there are some new realities for us. Number one is that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that, that we are free from the penalty of sin. Romans chapter 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That there's an old covenant, and, and life according to the old covenant has a penalty, and that penalty is death. But Jesus Christ came to fulfill the old covenant so that we could now have life with him forever and ever. Amen. See, under Jesus Christ, we are free from the weight of the law, and we have been purchased, and we've been purposed as a new creation. So we are free from the penalty of sin. That's the best news of all. Secondly, we are being freed from the power of sin. So today, in our world, if you didn't notice, there's some stuff going on in our lives and all around us 
sin has power, and this power is at work. That's why we call this world a broken world, that it's, that it's confused and lost and broken and shattered and not how God intended it to be. But in Jesus Christ, we are being saved from the power of sin every day, every minute, every second we are alive. We're being saved from the power of sin. Do you know that in Christ Jesus, you don't only have to live for self? I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty selfish bugger. And I'm going to be honest, I get really tired of being selfish. See, before I placed my, my faith in Jesus Christ, I didn't have a choice. It was all I had. But now there's a new power, a new work alive in me. By which I can be free from this power of sin that so easily entangles that I can live not as a slave in bondage, but as a free man who has been bought at a great price. So we're being, we are free from the penalty of sin. We are being freed from the power of sin. And one day, praise God, we will entirely be free from the presence of sin. One day, you see, we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we surrender to Him as our Lord. We put our life under His control. He guarantees us that He has gone to make a place for us. And that one day we will be with Him and we will finally and fully see Him in all His glory and we will be face to face with Him. And we will sing songs and we will feast at His, at his table and the presence of sin will be entirely eradicated, which means no more sickness, no more death, no more wretched, broken bodies, no more disappointing world. We will be with Him forever. All three of those things, the penalty, the power, and one day, the presence of sin, all those things instantaneously become true for us once we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So when we take communion, it has some weight to it. It means something because we're remembering something of significance. You may be here today and you may be like, all right, look, I woke up, tried to start my new year by going to Walmart, and somehow I ended up here. Right? No problem. You may not know anything about the Bible. You may not know anything about God. You may not know anything about all the stuff that I'm talking about. And it sounds all funky and weird to you. No problem. We're glad that you're here. I'm happy to share God's Word with you. But even if you don't know anything about the Bible, you know this. You know that somewhere in your soul, somewhere inside your heart, there is something that says, this is not how it's supposed to be. This place is broken. You know that, that somewhere in you there's something that says everything I've experienced in life up until this point, there has to be more than this. And if that is your sentiment, guess what? You're right. There, there is something more and that more has a name and it's Jesus Christ. You see, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, before we take communion, I want to give you the opportunity to surrender your life under the Lordship of Jesus. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead that we shall be free because it is with the heart that we believe and it is the mouth that we confess and we are justified. And so I would invite you today if you've never surrendered your life to, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ then I would invite you to do that today. Uh, I wrote a prayer for us that we could read together as a church family. I'm going to read it and you can just listen but but if you're, you never, never surrendered your life to Jesus, I, I specifically want you to pay attention to this because it may be a prayer that you want to offer to God. And the prayer goes something like this. It says, Jesus, I know things in this world and in me are broken because of sin. And I believe you are the only one who could fix them. 
I believe that you were God's son and that you died on the cross for my sins, rose again three days later, and by doing so, you changed everything forever. I want you to change everything in me forever. I surrender. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take like a minute. And if you're here and you're already a believer, great. Just think about the Lord. Think about your new realities as created and delivered to you by God. But if you're not a believer, I would ask, maybe today's the day that you take that step and you may want to offer this prayer to God from your heart. So we're going to take a, take a minute where I'm just going to be quiet and we're just going to sit and we're going to think about the Lord and we're going to pray where appropriately. So let's, let's enjoy the Lord and think on Him for a minute together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just would want to, I want to ask before we continue, if, if you're here today and you offered that prayer to God of surrender for the first time and you, you placed your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I would like to know that. So if you would just put your hand up in the air so that I can pray for you, we can celebrate with you. Amen. Amen. If you surrendered your life to Jesus today, then we would, we would invite you to take communion with us. If you're not a believer, we would just ask that you abstain from taking communion. The Bible's really explicit about that. But we celebrate all the new children in God's family today, and as we move toward communion, we remember what Jesus has done for us, what He has done for us, and what He is doing to us. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for all You've done in our lives, and we thank You for the fact that you are above and before all things, that, that you have met us here and that you have called us by name and that you have a plan for our lives, that you have, you have brought us into new covenant living, that you have, you have adopted us into this new community and you, have, and you have very specifically purposed us as a new creation. We thank you for that. And we more than anything, we thank you for Jesus because it is by him and for him and through him that we live. It is by him and for him and through him that, that we can now see that we are out of darkness and we have seen the light. Father, I pray that above all things today, that as we take communion and we remember what you have done for us, how you have delivered in every possible way, I pray that you would stir our affections and that your heart would be blessed and that we would glorify you in your holy name. We ask all these things by the power and the blood of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.